Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Morning, AGC. Reading this morning is from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you and his servant was healed that very moment. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word. Oh. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. We'll try this again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Amen. Thanks to Noah for reading. That was another long one. Thank you, Tori, for leading us in worship. And um, again, I just want to continue um, giving this time, giving this space to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, the scriptures say that it's in God that we live and move and have our being. So everything we do, from every thought we have to every breath we take, uh, is in and through and for him. So let's continue to pray. Our Father in heaven. In the stillness, you are there. In the quiet, you are there. You go before us. You meet us where we are right now. And you've been with us every step of the way. Father, I ask this morning that you would reveal your glory to us. 
I ask that you would give us a picture of who you are that we can't get out of our heads. I ask that you would sear your beauty and your love in our eyes, in our hearts. I ask that you would remove the walls that we build up without even knowing it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would unstop our ears so that we can hear you. And ultimately, Lord, we want to know you. We want your presence. We want to seek your presence in everything we do. God, we want to look more like you. We want to be formed in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our deeds, more and more into your Son. And Spirit, we want to live in your power that you promise us. You are making all things new. So God, give us the eyes to see you work. Give us the power that you promise us so that we can live for the renewal of all things, participating in you. God, I, make th- I-, I ask that you would make us just so sick of everything else that doesn't revolve around you. And you would satisfy our hearts with your desire. Or we would satisfy our hearts this morning, Lord, with you. God, we ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. You would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. And we ask that the words of our mouth and the meditation of, my heart, of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we pray all of this in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Last time we were in the Lakeside Center was August, and I broke a record for the longest sermon I've ever preached yet, which means that today I have to break that record again. (laughs) Some of you laughed. I'm offended. No, I'm definitely not going to break that record. It was 50 minutes last time. I was like, whoa. I didn't realize it was that long until afterwards, but anyway. Today's message is this. So if you get this, this is the message. Jesus loves you. Jesus heals you. Your sin, your sickness, your anxiety, your broken relationships, your insecurities, your feelings of worthlessness, your fears, your past. Your family dynamics, your attempts to make things right on your own, your anger, your bitterness, your brokenness. In all of that, Jesus isn't offended. He's not scared to come near you in those moments because Jesus 
loves you. Jesus isn't embarrassed to be seen with you. He walks right up to you in those moments of vulnerability, of pain, of suffering, of anxiety, of trying to deal with your past, of figuring out life. He looks at you with love in his eyes and he reaches out to you. He reaches out to you. How are you going to respond? He reaches out to you not to slap you on the wrist. He reaches out to you not to scold you, pointing a finger. He reaches out to you because he loves you. Your sin doesn't scare God away. Your brokenness doesn't scare God away. Your anxieties don't scare God away. Your unseen thoughts don't scare God away. The fact that you can't feel like you get life under you doesn't scare God away. God looks you in the eye. He reaches out to you and he heals you. He saves you because he loves you. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news. Do you know the freedom that comes when you actually can believe and internalize the truth that God loves you? Do you know the freedom that that brings? I'll tell you what, your life will never look the same once you understand that. And also, it will take your entire life to understand that. We started the gospel according to Matthew back in January, and it's been a minute since we've been in, in Matthew. We took the summer off and did a series through Psalms. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick review of where we've come from because we're in Matthew chapter 8, and I know some of you have joined in the summer, some of you just joined recently, so you didn't get all of that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take seven months of sermons and try to summarize it here in a few, a few moments. The Gospel of Matthew, there's a theme of the Gospel of Matthew, and the theme is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, Jesus himself says the word kingdom or the phrase kingdom of heaven over 30 times. And the Gospel of Matthew has that phrase kingdom or kingdom of heaven over 55 times. Ergo, the kingdom of heaven is a very important theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me give you a few examples. John the Baptist, the first time it's used, John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness, right? He's preaching, uh, it says he's preaching the Gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and he says, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One chapter later, Jesus' first message, Jesus' first message, it says that Jesus went around and he was preaching the gospel, and he says, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's a summary statement of what Jesus did, and this will be up on the screen as well. In Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus says this. Now, well, Jesus didn't say this. Matthew said this. Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, did three things, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of what? The kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Also, that same exact phrase is repeated in Matthew 9, verse 35. Now, what's interesting is Jesus preached the gospel. Good news, oh, sorry, can you go back to that? It vanished. 
Good news right there that's underlined is the word euangelion. It's also the word, the exact same word as gospel. So Jesus preached the gospel. Now, odds are, if I were to take a microphone and walk around and ask you guys to define the gospel, don't worry, introverts, I won't do that. Some of you guys just like really tense stuff. You're like, oh no, not me. Uh, if I were to take a microphone and ask you guys what is the gospel, odds are there'd be a lot of similarities, but there also might be a lot of differences, a lot of nuances. But I bet they would all include something about Jesus' death on the cross. And that's true. That's a part of the gospel. And the reason we know that is because Jesus himself preached the gospel. It says it right here. It says it in Matthew 4, uh, verse 17. It says it in Mark 1, verse 15. It says it in John, uh, uh, Matthew 3, verse 23. It says all these things. Jesus was going around preaching the gospel. Jesus was preaching the gospel. Jesus was preaching the gospel. So the question then is, is how can Jesus preach the gospel if he hadn't died on the cross yet? What gospel was he preaching? Interesting question. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So what is the gospel of the kingdom? The theme of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is walking around preaching the gospel. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by the way, say that Jesus himself preached the gospel. The question then is, is what on earth was Jesus preaching if he hadn't died yet, if he hadn't risen from the dead yet? And the answer is that he was preaching this, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that phrase, kingdom of heaven, we're going to dissect this because that's the theme of Matthew. The theme of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. So I want to dissect this word by word. First, kingdom. Kingdom is interesting because we don't really live in a monarchy, right, anymore in America. And, or not anymore in America, in America we don't live in a monarchy. And so kingdom is like more like, it's a weird, thank you, Tori. It's a weird word and oftentimes we use it more as a noun, right? It's the kingdom of something. Or if you're Chiefs fans, it's the Chiefs kingdom, right? It's, it's, it's a noun right there. Yeah, I got a couple thumbs down, a couple of thumbs up. We use it as a noun, but in Greek, it's actually more nuanced. It's more like a verb. It's more like an action word. So scholars all agree that a better word for kingdom is actually rule or reign, right? That's an action word. It's the reign of King Henry. It's the reign of, it's the rule of King whatever, right? It's this action word that basically in this king's reign and rule, his will, his desire is accomplished, right? Another, uh, Dallas Willard actually says that the kingdom is the range of one's effective will. The range of your effective will. We all have a kingdom of our own, right? We all have a range of our, of our effective will. We realize very quickly that it gets bumped up and it gets challenged because our effective will and our desires and our wants doesn't always happen. And other people have their kingdoms and their effective wills that they want to happen and so it bumps up against each other but the kingdom is like the rule so Jesus's gospel is this repent and believe the kingdom of heaven has come near the rule of heaven the reign of heaven in Luke it's always the kingdom of God so the reign of God has come near the rule of God has come near so in Matthew though it's, it's heaven so the kingdom of heaven so the reign of heaven the rule of heaven and the next question is what is heaven if it's the reign of heaven and the rule of heaven, what is heaven? And according to the Bible, heaven is not a location you go to after death. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a verse anywhere in scriptures that say that your soul goes to heaven when you die. So what is heaven? What is heaven? It's a million-dollar question. I'm just throwing some grenades at you guys and hoping that you guys can, we can figure it out together. What is heaven? So uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and we have a beautiful, profound um, illustration. You can go to the first slide here. Do you everybody see that circle? That's great. Our, our friend Alex Prince made that for us. Really well done. Um, 
In Genesis 1 and 2, we see what? We see God as the creator God of heaven and earth. And heaven and earth are represented by this one circle. In other words, there's supposed to be two circles there, but it's really one circle. In other words, they're overlapping. Heaven and earth are one. God's presence is with his people, period. There's no separation between God's God's, uh, realm, heaven, and human realm, earth. They are one. They are together. That is heaven and earth as one. Then, Genesis 3, you turn the page, and not very quickly, what happens? Sin enters, and boom, they are separated. Heaven and earth are now split. Why? Because the presence of God, and the, Adam and Eve are banished from the presence of God. So we have this, we have this um, separation of God's realm and human realm, known as heaven and earth. That's what the scriptures say, heaven and earth. Heaven is God's space, it's where God's rule and reign is, is always accomplished. And earth is where we as humans try to get our own kingdom out there. We try to define good and evil on our own. We take matters into our own hands, and it ends up bringing what? Chaos, death, destruction. Now, the uh, rest of the Old Testament here talks about this future day. Next slide. This future day, this day of the Lord, when heaven and earth are going to be one again. They talk about the hope that is to come when God's kingdom and rule and reign intersect again with earth and all evil will be destroyed, all wickedness will be destroyed and God will be with his people again. That's the day that they looked forward to. Now, the reason that the gospel is so good is because it it allows us a chance for repentance rather than just wiping us out completely. It's because of this, this third one right here, this overlap of the ages. In Jesus... Jesus' gospel is what? Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Jesus, he himself is bringing heaven to earth. He is bringing God's rule, God's reign, God's will, God's character, God's love to us. And you can go to the next slide here. And this overlap of the ages is exactly what we're in. The reason why it's called good news and the reason why Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom is because now we can see what God's rule and reign looks like. And now we have an opportunity to participate in it. In Jesus' work on the cross, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' miracles, in Jesus' teachings, in Jesus' everything, what he's doing is he's showing us. He's showing us what God is like. He's revealing God's character. He's revealing that the will of heaven, the rule and reign of heaven is perfect, where there is no more sin. There's no more anxiety. There's no more pain. There's no more death. That's why Jesus had to defeat death because he showed in, he- in the kingdom of heaven, there's no death. That's why he rose again from the dead. So the good news is that the, gosp- the, the good news is the gospel of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here in and through Jesus. We have this opportunity not to be separated from God anymore, but to be clothed in his righteousness to, as Hebrews says, approach boldly the throne of grace. Because now, guess what? If you and I are in Christ, where are we in this little diagram? We're in the middle. Meaning what? We are actually foretastes of eternity. How empowering is that? Do you think of your life as a foretaste of eternity? Foreshadowing forever? Because if you are in Christ, then his healing, his power, his salvation, his grace, and his peace to you can't but overwhelm you. He looks at you in your brokenness and your sin and your self-destruction, and he reaches out to you and he says that there's none of that in the kingdom of heaven. Repent, believe in the good news. That's the gospel. That's good news. The good news is that God did not leave us on our own. 
God did not leave us, God does not abandon you. We're gonna look here in a second, but there's this lie that like when we sin or when we're unclean, God's a little like disappointed in us and so therefore we avoid God and then we avoid prayer and then we avoid his people and then we avoid taking the bread and the cup and then we avoid reading the scriptures because we're like, well, God, God is gonna be disappointed. God can't be in my presence. God doesn't like me. And, and what is this? This gospel says, no, God enters into our pain. He enters into our brokenness because he loves us so much. This is the message today. Jesus loves you. We're called Ankeny Good News Church. This is good news for us. Getting a little ahead of myself here, but we're gonna back up. The, ba- the gospel, we have a, oh, you know what? I'm gonna skip that one slide. Go to the one that says the gospel. This is what we say the gospel is. Or this isn't what we say the gospel is. This is in our doctrine of, um, statement of belief. The gospel is the good news that God himself, the creator, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from what? From sin, from Satan, from death, from hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish his kingdom, how? Through his people and the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep this up for a second. First of all, this is initiated by God. The gospel is not initiated by us. That's very important. We can't earn this. The gospel is initiated by God in grace. Second, the gospel is substitutionary. Christ himself lived, died, and resurrected on our behalf. But the gospel is also participatory. Look at this. We are involved in the gospel. We are involved in the kingdom, declaring and joining the work of God in redemptive history as his faithful and fruitful people. The gospel is also the news of a kingdom, not just individual hearts. It's the lordship of Jesus tangibly worked out all across his creation. And finally, the gospel is powerful. In Acts, the the writer of Acts says that um, um, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. It wakes people up from death to life. It promises the presence and power of God in us, and it enables us to be a preview community of eternity, of what God is going to do in all of creation. That's the gospel. And our lives are never the same when we interact and when we experience Jesus, when he looks at us and he reaches out to us. And that's exactly what we're gonna look at next. Matthew chapter eight, we're finally getting to the text today. Matthew chapter eight. Um, If you remember the last section that ended in Matthew was the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven of, of Jesus' some of Jesus' most famous teachings compiled together in the Sermon on the Mount that talked about the, uh, this upside-down kingdom where we, we elevate the, the powerful and the rich, right? And Jesus is actually the blessed are the poor in spirit because they're the ones that get the kingdom of heaven. We elevate those who can, who can get things done on their own. Jesus says, actually, blessed are those who are humble, meek, We elevate those who can get more and more and more and more because bigger is always better. And Jesus says, actually, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what God hungers and thirsts for because they're going to be filled. He ends his Sermon on the Mount with this uh, radical statement that basically says, if you don't do what I say, you're done for. And if you do what I say, then you're wise. And then all the crowds were astonished. Look at actually at chapter 7. Uh, verse 28, just a few verses up before uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And then it says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. 
at his teaching. Because he was teaching them like one who had authority. It's an important word, authority, and not like one of the scribes. In this section of chapter 8 that Noah read for us, verses 1 through 17, there are three miracle stories. There's the story of the healing of the leper. There's the story of the healing of the centurion's servant. And then there's the story of uh, healing Peter's mother-in-law. We're actually going to look at the centurion first, then Peter's mother-in-law, and we're going to end with uh, the man with leprosy because that's my personal favorite. And we're going to end with that. So look with me at verse 5 of chapter 8. When Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. A few, uh, a little bit of context here. Um, A centurion was a Roman official who had roughly a hundred, hence the name centurion, sent hundred, whatever, roughly a hundred soldiers underneath him. So this wasn't just like a foot soldier. This was like a guy who had authority, right? And he goes up to Jesus. Interesting, he went up to Jesus He was a Gentile, by the way. He was a Roman. He went up to Jesus, and he called him what? Look at verse 6 again. He called him what? Lord. A a, a person who has authority just walked up to Jesus and called him Lord, and he says, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. And then verse 7, Jesus said to him, am I to come and heal him? He asked this question. There's a few different translations, but in the CSB it says, am I to come and heal him? Kind of sounds like, a little short of Jesus, a little rude of Jesus, right? Like, the centurion's like, hey, I really need help. And he's like, am I, am I supposed to just come over there and, and, and heal him? The reason is, there's a lot of uh, thoughts on this, but the reason is, is that the centurion was a Gentile. He was a Roman. And Jewish people could not enter Gentiles' homes. So Jesus is like, am I actually going to, you know I'm not allowed to come in there, so am I going to come and heal him? And look what the centurion says. He calls them Lord again, verse 8. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion knows two things. One, he's humble enough to know that Jesus, he's not worthy enough for Jesus to come into his roof, and he's also culturally aware enough to know that Jewish people are not allowed into Gentiles' homes. So he says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Look at verse 10. What was Jesus' response? Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. Was amazed. The Greek, word, the Greek word there is the word surprised. Jesus was surprised. Jesus was surprised, and he said this, those following him, truly I tell you, I haven't found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west and share the banquet with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is talking about here is that last circle. In Isaiah 25, it talks about when those two circles collide again and heaven and earth are one, there's gonna be a banquet. And all the, all the uh, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're gonna be there and we're gonna feast. And what Jesus is saying is that those from the, not just those in, in Israel are going to feast in this time, but all those from the east, from the west, from the north and south, everybody is going to be gathered during this feast. And look at, but then look what he says in verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who are the sons of the kingdom? 
because the sons of the king, I thought we were supposed to be children of the kingdom, right? Kingdom of heaven, we're children of the kingdom. I thought that was supposed to be it. This phrase here is referring to those who think that they're in, but they're not. This phrase here is referring to the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious elite, the religious authorities. Now, what's very, very noteworthy, every time Jesus talks about damnation of any kind, he only talks about those who think they're in. Those who are going to church, those who are in the synagogues, those who are the Pharisees, those who are the scribes, those who are the religious. He only, whenever he mentions hell or destruction or damnation of any kind, he's always, always referring to those who think they're in but actually are not. He never refers to those pagans or the sinners or the tax collectors. Isn't that interesting? When I think of a motivating factor for, a, a false motivating factor, I should say that, a false motivating factor for trusting Jesus, damnation's up there, right? Like, oh man, I don't really want to go into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, so I guess I should. Does Jesus ever use that as a tactic? No. Never. If anything, He's talking to the ones who think they're in. I, I've got this whole God thing down. I'm following the law. I'm doing it. I, I'm good. I don't need to humble myself. I don't need to, to, to become vulnerable. I don't need to reach out. I, I'm fine. To those people, Jesus has the harshest words. But to those who are broken and needy and in pain, Jesus never says stuff like that. It's interesting. Jesus told the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. With a word, Jesus can heal. With a word, Jesus can heal. The third healing of this three uh, healing stories, verse 14. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. little context, in those days they thought that fevers were either given by God or when you were, or, or as in like a divine punishment, because um, damnation was thought to be of as really like hot place. So when you had a fever, they thought God was punishing you, or they thought you were possessed by a demon. So when you had a fever back in those days, before modern medicine, you, they either thought God is giving this to you and God is punishing you, or you are possessed by a demon. So Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and what does Jesus do? Verse 15, so he touched her. He touched her hand. When somebody has a fever or a cold or a flu or is contagious of any kind, we do not do that, right? We avoid them because what is unclean often contaminates what is clean, right? My, if somebody is sick and if I go up to them, I will become sick too. What is unclean also makes something that is clean unclean, yet not with Jesus. What does Jesus do? He reaches out, he touches her, and instead of what is unclean making Jesus unclean, Jesus, being clean, makes her clean. Why? Is there sickness in the kingdom of heaven? No. Is there fever in the kingdom of heaven? No. So why does Jesus all of a sudden perform all these miracles? We have three chapters of him teaching, and then we have a lot of chapters of him performing miracles. Yes, it's to show his power. Yes, it's to show his authority. But I think most importantly, most importantly, the reason Jesus 
does all these miracles is to show us what the kingdom of heaven will look like. There will not be any sickness in the kingdom of heaven. You know how we know? Because Jesus healed it. Whenever Jesus bumps into somebody, there's healing of all kinds. I mean, he touches Peter's mother-in-law and the fever leaves her and then what does she do? She got up and she began to serve him. And then this is a summary statement, verse 16 and 17. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word, with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Verse 17, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Listen to this. He himself took our weaknesses. He himself carried our diseases. Go back to the beginning of chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. If you were a leper, um, le- leprosy, by the way, was more than just one specific disease. I think there's a name for the disease now. Um, I can't remember it. But there's one specific disease that like, oh, this is leprosy. Leprosy was a broad category for general skin diseases. But if you had leprosy, you were banished from your house, you were banished from your family, and you were banished from your city and you had to live on the outskirts of the city. And it was so bad that if you saw people walking by a street, you had to back up and yell out, yell out, unclean, 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 so that people could avoid you. Because if you came, there was a certain distance. If you came close enough to a person, then you yourself were unclean, and then you couldn't go into the city, and then you couldn't go into your family's house, and then you were excommunicated from your family for a time being, for a couple weeks. So to be a leper, can you imagine not just, I'm not just talking about the physical calamities. Can you imagine the emotional and psychological damage if you, when somebody walks past you, you have to avoid them and say, I'm not worthy. I'm unclean. I can't come near you. Don't come near me. I can't come near you. This man with leprosy knew that that was what you're supposed to do. And yet, right away, a man with leprosy, what did he do? Did he run away and say unclean? No, it says he came up to Jesus and he knelt before him. And he says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is really subtle, but really important. What does the leper not say? He doesn't say, if you are able, make me clean. He says, if you are willing, make me clean. A lot of times, I know that God is able. I know that Jesus is able to forgive my sins. I know that Jesus is able to mend broken relationships. I know that Jesus is able to heal. I know that Jesus is able to do all these things. But what does this leper say? If you are willing... Is Jesus willing? If he's willing, you're able to do it. How many times do I think that? God, I I know that you're able, but I don't know if you're willing. Are you willing to forgive that sin again? Are you willing to redeem my past? Are you willing to, to look at me and my brokenness and my ashamedness and heal me? Are you willing? 
Because whenever we question God, it's, it's most likely not a, a question of power. It's a question of character. Are you willing? And this is the good news right here. Look at what Jesus does. Verse three, reaching out his hand. Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. How many times have you blown it? How many times have you acted out against your conscience? How many times have you thought to yourself, not again? How many times have you let your thoughts wander? How many times have you thought, I'm not worthy for Jesus to look at me right now? How many times have you thought about that half truth that, that half truth that says, a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, which is only a half truth, by the way. Because what happens here? A holy God enters into our brokenness, enters into our sin. And look at how the narrative completely slows down, reaching out his hand. He touches him. I am willing. Be made clean. Some of you guys are in a spot right now where you know that God's able to heal you, to save you, to clean you, to, to, to transform you, but you don't know if he's willing. Because we have this innate ability to, to, to sit in our shame and twist the narrative. And ju just like Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 3, where you say, God, God's not willing to look at my pain, my brokenness, my sin and enter into it. God's not gonna listen to me. God's not gonna forgive me again. I have to stand back, I have to say unclean, I'm not gonna enter into community, I'm not gonna come to church, I'm not gonna pray, I'm not gonna read my Bible because I'm not worthy to do those things. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touches this leper. Reaching out his hand, Jesus heals you today. Guys, the gospel is that Jesus loves you. The gospel is that, the, the gospel is that when we humble ourselves, that's the key, when we humble ourselves like this leper, like the centurion, like Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus is willing. But how often do we say, well, I'm just going to stand back. I don't actually need help. I can figure this out. Once I get this area of my life good to go, then I'll talk to Jesus. Once I figure out this sin pattern, once I mend this broken relationship, then I'll come to Jesus. And what does the leper say? Lord, if you're willing, you are able to clean me. You can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing. Be made clean. We end up doing this avoiding prayer. We avoid the scriptures. We avoid the Christians. We avoid Sunday gatherings in our shame and our brokenness. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you that Jesus wants nothing more than for you to enter into his love. 
and enter into his grace. The story of the gospel is a boldness that God is not threatened or intimidated by your sin or your shame. How many of you have a line in your head that says a holy God will not tolerate sin in his presence? That half-truth remains dangerous and it, and it will distort our view of Jesus. Can God tolerate sin in his presence? Of course, not only does he tolerate it, he actually moves towards it with such passion and intensity that this leper is, in, is forced to own it, confess, name it, and be transformed by God's encounter and God's grace. Doesn't mean that we have a license to do whatever we want. It means that we are going, that, that Jesus is going to make us clean when we humble ourselves and when we say, Lord, if you're willing. Actually, I know you're willing because I know your character. Will you clean me? We live in a culture of uncleanness and death, and Jesus comes with a completely different story. And the good news is that a story like this transforms us. We're never the same. Ever. We're never the same. When you encounter the love of Jesus, you will never be the same. Period. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of ways we can go. First, are, are, we, are we willing to humble ourselves and say, Lord, please make me clean. Lord, just say the word. Lord, I'm here. I'm yours. Are we willing to do that? Because if not, then Jesus will not heal us, period. If we do not repent and believe the kingdom of heaven has come near, then we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Are we humble enough to approach Jesus with this request of, Lord, I'm here. I'm sorry. I know you can heal me. And the second is, looking back on our lives, has our life been a response to the grace and the goodness of Jesus? Has our life been actually transformed from the inside out? Are we, are we embodying, living, participating in the kingdom of heaven right here, right now? Because if the answer is yes, then then neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor principalities nor rulers nor nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, love of Jesus Christ, period. And our lives will never look the same. But if not, then we'll be plagued by insecurities. We'll be plagued by sin. We'll be plagued by brokenness. So I know we're going into a time of, of eating lunch together, and, and honestly, this lunch is just a giant communion uh, where we are just communing with one another, remembering Christ. And so I hope I hope this story of the leper, specifically the leper, but also of the centurion and the servant and Peter's mother-in-law, I hope that you can't not think about it the rest of this week. That was a weird way to say that. I hope that this story just transforms your view of Jesus and your view of yourself. I've been mulling over the story for a few weeks now in preparation for this, and, and I, I can't tell you just the exhale and the release and the freedom from this, from four verses. I am willing to be made clean. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.